0: Good morning and thank you for joining us, this is Dr. Daniel Fine, I'm an assistant professor of medicine at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, and I'm speaking for the Early Career Professionals Working Group of the American Thoracic Society's Critical Care Assembly. Today, we're going to talk to Dr. Jack Iwashina about how to get the most out of being a presenter or facilitator at the upcoming ATS meeting. Dr. Iwashina is an intensivist at the University of Michigan. He's done extensive research into how critical illness influences a patient's life course. Some specific areas of prior investigation include how severe sepsis may reshape the lives of patients after they leave the ICU and how different organizations may vary in the care they provide to critically ill patients. I'm thrilled to have him with me today and to discuss how to get the most out of participating in poster sessions at the upcoming ATS meeting. Jack, thank you so much for joining me.
1: I'm thrilled to be here, Dan, and thanks for having me. I guess say the Early Career Professionals Working Group is one of my favorite parts of ATS, even if it has the worst acronym of any of the parts of ATS.
0: Yeah, yeah. Bad acronym, good group. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Tell me a little bit more about yourself and your job and how that fits into the rest of your life.
1: Um, so I'm in my now mid-40s. Uh, I did... Um, critical care training uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. Um, I'm a dad of three. I have a 15-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter, and a 10-year-old daughter. Uh, and so between writing grants, mentoring, trying to do some research and see patients and take care of them, that pretty much rounds out my life these days.
0: Yeah, that sounds like enough. Sounds like enough. It's more than enough. Yeah. How how did you uh, initially get involved in ATS?
1: Um, So it was easy for me because uh, ATS is where the best critical care science gets done and the best critical care presentations uh, and discussions about science happen. And so even from residency, I was basically told that if I was going to make a contribution to our profession as a scientist, uh, ATS was where I needed to go. And I quickly found it a relatively open and welcoming group of people to hang out with. Um, so it was pretty easy. I I started going to ATS during residency, actually.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like a pretty good argument for young clinicians to get more involved in ATS. And it sounds like it was a pretty easy jump in for you. Yeah, you're, I mean... You're able to integrate
1: yourself in. Um. So the first two years at ATS at at the conference are always daunting, right? I mean, it's like Mm -hmm. 10,000 people, um, and it just feels massive. And I spent way too much time sitting in the back of these big gaping thousand person scientific symposium, uh, conferences, you know, kind of in the dark, not really knowing what was going on. And then as I started presenting my own work, I found ATS got way more fun, um, because it particularly kind of moved into small groups. And as I moved into being a part of the community as opposed to being an audience member of the conference, um, I found it uh, much easier to figure out what I was doing. The mm-hmm. other thing I did is at some point I got a job at some place other than where I trained. <laughs> and right. so ATS became a great way to actually catch up with folks I, had, I, I see once or twice a year mm-hmm. um, who I missed from my uh, yeah. training time.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if people were to ask you how to get more involved or how to get more out of the conference, would you say just present something?
1: Yes, yeah, sure, okay. show your own work. Talking about everybody loves talking about their own stuff, <laughs> and a fair number of us um, who are getting more gray-haired come to the conference in order to do talent search to go see mm-hmm. who's young and doing hot new stuff that we mm-hmm. haven't heard about. I, I know what most of my friends are working on. I, I've collaborated with them or I hear about it on an ongoing basis. So I'm not going to learn a ton about their work at ATS. What I want to learn about are their new mentees or the new people mm-hmm. who are doing something fundamentally different that I hadn't seen before. And so right. that's very exciting for me. And ATS is a efficient way to find smart, young, new new folk.
0: Right, right. Great, great. So in terms of um, people presenting their work, there there's several different formats to do that. There's these mini symposia, poster discussion sessions, thematic poster sessions, and they're all just different formats for people showing their research. Uh, Do you have a favorite one to be a part of? Um,
1: I like the poster discussion sessions the best. Mm -hmm. I feel like they have the best combination of small enough that actual conversations can occur, but having enough unstructured time also that actual conversation can occur. Mm-hmm. And when they're facilitated well, they're just brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um most of my work, when I if I'm presenting original stuff, it often ends up uh, in what I think we euphemistically call the thematic poster sessions, right, in the poster barn, mm-hmm. uh, kind of out in the warehouse. And those can be mm-hmm. fun, but they take a little – it's a different format. It's a little more hit or miss. It kind of depends how the flows of things happen to go.
0: Right, right. And so just to clarify the listeners, that's usually what most of us are familiar with, where we, we make a poster and we bring it to the big exhibit hall. We hang it up, and other people are, can come around and ask questions. And then facilitators can come and also ask directed questions. Do you, Do you have any advice for people making posters for any type of format? Um, just in yeah.
1: Um, so I'd say. In, so I'd say in general, a poster is not a paper. So, in a paper, you will provide a nuanced discussion of all of the details of your work. The point of a poster, as I think of it, is something of an advertisement for me as I'm walking by to stop and have a conversation with you so you can orally convey the details of your work. Mm
0: -hmm. When
1: I look at a poster, what I want to do is see clearly what the question is, a Mm -hmm. few of the take home uh, big results, and some sense of what the implications of that are. So that then if I find that interesting I can stop and say, All right, so tell me how you got that result and we can talk right. through it. Right. Um, yeah,
0: no, I often find myself just completely overwhelmed by the amount of information put on posters. And I think it it kind of makes me lose interest quickly, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. yeah, I mean it's just, you know, we're scanning most of you know, I think of the first job of a poster as to get me to break my stride right so I tend to Mm -hmm. kind of meander down the hall and I'm glancing at both sides of me and then Mm -hmm. the first question is can you ask me a good enough question and show me at least one piece of data that's compelling enough that I'm Mm -hmm. going to stop and actually read the other parts to see if I care yeah right. um, there there are others of my colleagues who are meticulous, right, and will have pre-read every abstract beforehand and bless their mm-hmm. hearts. I just don't have the energy to be that guy.
0: Mm-hmm. So I
1: kind of stroll the halls um, and look the, say, is it a question I care about? Does it look like there's a little bit of data there that I care about? If so, I'll stop and read it and then want to have a conversation about the nuance with the person.
0: Right, right, right. So be concise, and then you you have the opportunity to orally just kind of elaborate on things to whoever wants to know. Exactly. I think three take-home points with Mm -hmm. supporting evidence is all you get to convey. Gotcha. Gotcha. And then in terms of being a facilitator at this type of session where everyone's walking around, what have you seen work in the past the best as a facilitator? So it's not about you as the facilitator.
1: Um, So the times that I found it best are when the facilitator can help people give an initial 45 seconds, no more than a minute pitch and then draw out conversations with them and particularly draw conversations between the posters. You know, oh, we mm-hmm. just saw Jane's poster two over. Jane, mm-hmm. what do mm-hmm. you think of this part? Can you reflect on that? That feels like that has some interesting uh alternative takes. And mm-hmm. so what you can get help bring together conversations so you get some insight. That's wonderful, because that's something that you can only do when you're there in person. That's not something that other formats let you do. And so it feels like Mm -hmm. if we're going to take the time to travel to DC together, we should Mm -hmm. do something we can only do when we're in person, not that other media would let us do equally well.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that didn't even encourage me to integrate everyone together. So not siloing each poster, but kind of make it like a group discussion about the posters.
1: Exactly. I mean, so that that depends in part on the poster members being willing to be part of a community, right? So bad poster folks just stand in front of their poster during the poster just during the uh, facilitated section and uh, give their thirty second spiel, or often mm-hmm. give a two minute spiel, taking up all the time of everybody, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. don't keep walking with the group to participate Mm. in other people's conversations, right? So Mm. a bad poster presenter is somebody who views it as about them as opposed to trying to give back to the community. A bad poster presenter is somebody who wants people to listen to them but won't give their colleagues the courtesy of listening to their work and asking hard questions. A good poster presenter, in contrast, is someone who – Realizes that asking a hard question is the highest compliment you can pay someone, and tries to deeply engage with people.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great. So the community feel of these type of closer sessions is key. So I guess, yeah. I mean, as a, and so people listening, both presenters and facilitators, can just kind of help foster that.
1: I, yeah, I'd say the the thing to really do is, um, and I don't know, if you can decide whether you're going to edit this out or not, is go find a thematic poster session that Gordon Rubenfeld from Toronto is doing and walk Mm -hmm. with him. Um, Mm -hmm. Gordon is the single most gifted poster facilitator I've ever seen. And Mm -hmm. so uh, go be a part of One of the ones he does, you'll learn a ton.
0: Great. I will do that. Awesome. Okay. And, And so we talked about thematic poster sessions. So moving on to poster discussion sessions. So I guess... When I've gone to these, oftentimes people stand in front of their work similar to the thematic poster session, and people just kind of walk around, and then they have the opportunity to present to the group more formally. This is the format I've seen. Have you seen other formats, and have you seen yeah, other so formats these, that might work a these, little better?
1: These are my favorite sessions when they're done well. They can mm-hmm. be... They're also the single worst sessions I've ever been to at APS. Great. <laughs> right. um, so my approach to doing this was something uh, that was influenced by slash I just plain stole uh, Mm -hmm. from Alan Garland, Jeremy Kahn, and Hannah Wunsch. And so a Mm -hmm. few years ago, the way they did it is first everybody spent an hour just kind of milling in front of their posters. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: they, uh, as the facilitators, divided the group, kind of went and lumped the posters up into kind of three chunks And then each went and had kind of meaningful conversations with the people who were presenting the posters in each of their kind of chunks, right? So they're usually 25 in a poster discussion section. So each of them went and talked to about eight people. Uh, Got the chance to get to know them, get a sense of how comfortable they were talking, what they were really interested about. And then Alan, Jeremy and Hannah came back and, for the discussion part, um, organized the groups kind of thematically. And so what they would do would be call up two or three people whose posters were linked and ask them a question not about the particular content of their poster, but about the theme that their poster addressed, and then let them start a conversation with the audience. And that, I thought, was superb. It gives everyone a chance to present their own work, and then it also gives in the group a chance for some really meaningful engagement about what are we thinking about in terms of what do we mean by early and early resuscitation? What do we mean about long by late outcomes or patient-centered outcomes? And we start talking about that.
0: Right. I right. that and,
1: that worked brilliantly. It's a ton yeah. of work for the facilitator to be able to you know kind of find those groupings and ask meaningful questions is hard but they did it so well. Uh, mm-hmm. And when they did it well, it really led to a two and a half hour long conversation with everybody in the room about kind of where we were going next with quality improvement. I I feel like I learned a lot. I still think back to that, that influenced some of my work.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. I mean, I guess what can be a little more rough is when people just get up and kind of regurgitate their work that they did and then People can ask questions after that, but it sounds like this is a lot more interactive and facilitated better conversation.
1: Yeah, I mean, the horrific ones are where the facilitators, to my mind, (laughs) abdicate their job and simply call up everybody one at a time to read their poster out loud. I think those are are the ones I've been to, yeah. Yeah, I mean, those are a disaster, right? Nobody stays for that. Um, Mm -hmm. And then everybody goes on too long, and so there's not even time for Q&A, and that, that has... Yeah. Yeah,
0: it sounds easier to keep control of the kind you suggested as well. You can kind of just the moderators can pick which questions they want to ask and you can keep control of the time a little better. Because when they go over is oftentimes also when it becomes a little rough.
1: Yeah, it, i mean it's um crowning a free flowing conversation, um, as you know from trying to run these podcasts, is often harder mm-hmm. than just asking a question, waiting for a minute and then going, Okay, so your answer's done. Good. Next question. Right. Um, right. But it feels like, again, that uh, interaction with people you didn't expect is precisely why we're all going away from our families and traveling to another city. Right. So that right. spontaneous interaction is the thing we should be encouraging. Gotcha. Yeah, I completely
0: agree. In my okay, humble great. opinion. Yay. Yeah. These are excellent thoughts. And uh, what what are you in particular looking forward to at this ATS meeting? So, honestly, uh, the other
1: high point of ATS for me every year is that there are a couple of people I have dinner with every year at ATS, um, and I'm incredibly looking forward to that. Mm-hmm. Um, there, Some of my mentees are presenting uh, their usual brilliant work, and so getting to watch uh, some of the people I've helped train continue to flower and grow into fully independent investigators is always awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh one of them is gonna win the Joe Ray Wright Award this year. Uh Prescott, mm-hmm. Prescott who is oh, done. Congratulations to her. And you. Um all her. She's just done such great work. And mm-hmm. so getting to see her work recognized and that transition to independence is uh, is always exciting. And then I signed up for um some of the mentorship that's available through the assemblies. So mm-hmm. I'm doing two mentorings through critical care, and one through behavioral science and health services research, and Mm -hmm. I think that's going to be a ton of fun, so getting to sit down with those three folk and hear about their good work and see what I can learn from them uh, should be really exciting for me.
0: Yeah, I I participated in the Critical Care Assembly's mentoring program a couple of years ago as a mentee, and I got a lot out of it. I met someone I never would have met before and got great career advice, so I'd certainly uh, advocate for people who are interested in that to go to the early career professionals working uh, website for the ATS assembly. You can sign up for the mentoring program. I'm not sure yeah. it might be too late, but I, I would still look into it. It's a I great. I think they're
1: part they're partnered for this year already, um, oh. but next year is available. And yeah, I mean, it's mm-hmm. my sense is people find it daunting, um, and the answer is it's not. Like everybody, every one of the mentors is a volunteer. We all do it because we love getting to hear about young folks' work. Um, It's a 30-minute coffee that, uh, if it's good, can be superb, and there's very little risk of it being bad. So people need to just suck it up and sign up for it.
0: It's a ton of fun. Completely agree. Yeah, I I got a lot out of it. Yeah. Um, And besides just presenting in general and and meeting up with people, any advice that you would have for young clinicians going to the conference who want to get the most out of the conference? Um, you know, I feel like I,
1: my kind of standard advice is figure out why you're going, right? Mm. And so if you're going to hear the latest set of trial results, go for that. If you're mm. going to enjoy DC in the spring, go and do that. Right. Um if you're going to build a network, then be intentional about how you want to build that network and be reasonable about how much you can grow a network at any given point. Um, a mentor of mine once said that his view was he wanted to come out of every conference having met one new person, but having met them well enough to have a real conversation. And right. so his strategy was usually to try to arrange coffee with uh, one person in advance. Um, mm mm-hmm. And so think about which of those you're trying to do and go and do it. And then just be open to the serendipity of being in a large room with a lot of different people and have a little bit of fun with it.
0: Right. Great. Excellent. And I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you is just any advice you'd have to young pulmonary and critical care doctors in general, specifically like anything that you wish someone told you when you were just coming out of training. You know, we have the best job in the world. Um, we
1: have an incredible privilege of getting to be a part of people's lives at these pivotal and terrifying moments when they're, they or their loved one are sick and to be able to make it better. Sometimes to be able to heal them. Sometimes to be able to help them deal with the uncertainty. Sometimes to be able to help make sure they have a good death. And I realize it's very easy to get lost in the uncertainty of our healthcare system and the God only knows what we're doing with funding and mm-hmm. is anyone ever going to be able to get promoted and oh mm-hmm. my god the world's crashing down. And all of those institutional <laughs> critiques are true and real. Right. But they don't actually take away the fact that we are paid inconceivably well <laughs> to do an incredibly privileged job, and uh, and so the more you spend time thinking about how privileged our life is and how amazing our job is, kind of the easier it is to get up through all the other crap.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I, that, that's all true, and that's pretty uplifting advice. It's important to be appreciative yeah. about how cool our job is.
1: Yeah, and it, it doesn't diminish just how much crap there is with mm-hmm. it. Right. But it turns out that's why it's our job, not our hobby. And we get paid right. to deal with the crap. Um, right. But most of my job I would do, even if I didn't get paid to, if I could. And uh, and that's sort of a privilege that at least was not the way my father thought about his work.
0: Right, right, right. Great. Well, Jack, thank you so much for joining me today. This has been a great conversation. This is Daniel Fine. And this has been a conversation with Jack Iwashina talking about how to get the most out of the upcoming ATS meeting as both a presenter and a facilitator.